have arrived to the last sermon in the book of James. We're only going to make it to the fourth chapter in the book of James, but we're going to finish here today. And uh, on this Veterans Day, James uses a military term. I don't really think James really meant it in a military way, but there's no question in that day and time when the Bible was written in the original language, it was a military term. Because in James chapter four, verse seven, when James writes, submit yourselves one to another, that word submit is a military term. Okay, you can go look that up just like I can look it up. You Google James 4, 7, write interlinear right beside of it. and It'll have the Greek uh, words right there. You can click on that Greek word and you can read it just as quick as I can. It's a military word. It means get in rank. Get in rank. Uh, respect your superiors like a private respects a corporate, like a corporate respects a, a sergeant, like a sergeant respects a major, and so forth and so on. It means get in rank. Submit yourselves one to another. This verse shows up, excuse me, this word shows up a lot of different places in Scripture. I'm only going to show you a few, okay? It shows up in Jesus' life. Jesus, Jesus wandered off when he was about 12. Mom and dad didn't know where he was, kind of got up, upset with him. And that whole story ends when then he, that be Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them, mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, and was, there's the word, translated differently here, but same word, same exact Greek word. He got in rank. Now, which one of, our parent, which one of us who as parents have not had some time in our life have looked at our kids and said, get in rank, right? Uh, yeah. You don't have to totally understand this. You don't have to totally get your mind wrapped around this. I'm the dad and you're not. Get in rank. Now, we don't have to do that all the time and we're a lousy parent if we do that all the time, but there are some times we just have to tell them, get in rank here, boy. Okay? And that's the word that we're talking about. We have another passage of scripture from Titus. Remind the people to be subject, there's the word, to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient and to be ready to go, ready to do whatever is good. It shows up a lot of different places. Here's one more place it shows up. Romans chapter 13, let everyone be, here's the word, translated subject here. Same exact word. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. We talked about that verse in men's Bible study on Tuesday night. So we come back to James chapter four, verse seven, and James says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Now James 4, 7 is like right here and you can't understand what James 4, 7 means unless you understand the context that goes before and the context that comes after. So the whole rest of the sermon is context that goes before, context that goes after. And context that goes before starts with James chapter 4, verse 1. And in James chapter 4, verse 1, James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He's writing to Christians now. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So he's writing to a church. He's writing to Christians. He says, when you're not getting along, what causes all that? Okay, it's something deep inside you. He uses the word desires. Whole lot of preaching right there. I don't have time today. But he uses the word desires, that, that, that battle he uses, battle within you. Some translations will say that war within you. What causes the problems that we have in church? It's me wanting to get my own way and you wanting to get your own way. And those two things beat at one another, don't they? What causes fights and quarrels 
among you. Now, what I'm trying to show you is the context that James 4, 7 is. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Now, what comes before that and what comes after that tells you exactly what that means. You cannot pull this verse out and just say, hi, I know what it means without first looking at the context. And the context before it starts right here with James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from desires that battle? (laughs) That battle within you. Next verse. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. James is Jesus' half-brother, and maybe on the killing thing, I've never killed anybody, but maybe in the killing, James is referring back to what his half-brother Jesus said when Jesus says, man, you didn't call somebody a fool. You even call somebody a fool and you've committed murder in the eyes of Jesus. Maybe. Okay. You covet. But you cannot get, you want something desperately. You lust after something and lust, not necessarily just in a sexual way. You want something so desperately. So you quarrel and fight. And you know how independent you are and how in charge you are of your own life? You haven't even asked God. You do not have because you're so in charge, Mark. Does that convict anybody? I can go. I can start dealing with a problem and I got this issue and I can go a day without dealing with a problem without saying, I haven't prayed about that yet. That's how natural this can come. Why doesn't it come naturally to me that when I'm presented with a problem that I immediately go to God with that? Why, why can't I get there spiritually? Why is it that it's so, so easy for me to immediately go into my gear, to immediately go into to, to, to the testosterone gear, to immediately go into... Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Get it done. If it's up to, if it's, if it's going to be, it's up to me. All that kind of stuff. Instead of why can't I just be dependent, 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 dependent. And when there is a problem come my way, why is the first thing that comes to my mind is to go to God. Why isn't it the second or third or fourth? And I hope you all are a lot more spiritual than me. So this, this dependence is, uh, independence is showing up. You haven't even prayed about it, man. You don't have because you haven't prayed. And go, go to the next verse. And when you do pray about it, you pray about it with the wrong motives. You pray about it to get what you want, to, to, to spend it on your own pleasures. I told you the story five or six years ago when I was convicted. By, right back in there at 840 in the prayer room one day, I was convicted. We prayed 840 before all of our services and 830. So we're praying by 840, 845, something like that. And I, I Everybody had their hands over me and were praying on me. And God just, not in an audible voice, but yes, it was audible. But no, it wasn't. I, I heard it, but I, you know how that happens sometimes. And God says, Mark, why are you praying for the sermon to go well? Let's have a little conversation about that, Mark. You know how you do that, don't you, Mark? So you'll look good in front of everybody. You're not really doing it so they'll appropriate this to their life you're doing it so you will look good and God had this whole week conversation with me and, and everybody was praying praying around me and they were all praying and they didn't even know this whole conversation was going on and God convicted me and it's changed my prayer from every morning since to God help me communicate your word today whether that makes me looking like a dumb old redneck from 425 Wood Street in Maysville Kentucky or whether that makes me looking polished or educated doesn't really make any difference you communicate your word because it's not about me but he convicted, had to convict me about that. 
He had to convict me of that and talk to me that it was about me. So Mark, when you pray, you pray for your own benefit so you don't get. Submit yourselves one to another, verse 7. Excuse me, submit yourself therefore to God, verse 7. This is the context. This is the context that it's in. And I think when Paul wrote this, he was writing to a group of people, and he was basically saying, hey, you're not getting along. The reason you're not getting along, da-da-da-da-da, just what I've just said. But I think there's another application that's been preached for centuries this way, is there is another battle going on within me. And it's not only a battle outside that you want something, I want something, she wants something, I want something, she wants something, she wants something. That's a, that's a battle in and of itself. But there's another battle inside of me that Church of Nazarene has been preaching about since our inception in October of 2008. And that's a battle that wars within me. That's the battle that the Bible calls a battle against the spiritual nature and the sinful nature. Romans chapter 7 writes all about it. Paul's the man who opened up the whole Western world of Christianity. And Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, why do I do what I don't want to do? He writes, I have the will to do it, but I can't follow through. In the Mark Atherton vernacular, it's two steps forward and three steps back. You understand about that war? You understand about that battle within? You have to be on the way a little bit. Uh, that's, a, that's an old-timey terminology. You have to be a Christian a little bit to understand that. Because when, when I first got saved, I just didn't want to go to hell, man. I mean, that's all I wanted. But as I started walking with God, I realized, man, this is a whole lot more about this life than not going to hell. He wants me. That's why my Old Testament theology professor, John Oswald, said, you know, God didn't really care if you go to heaven or not. That'll wake you up at 8 o'clock in the morning, Old Testament theology, let me tell you. He says, what, is he, what he wants is you. And heaven is a fringe benefit if he gets you. So there's this battle going on inside of me. We had a dog one time, and the dog's name was Babe, and Babe ran out of the yard, went down, running down where she's not supposed to with all the other dogs. So I put on my big, dogs understand tone of voice now, okay? So I put on my big deep tone of voice and said, babe! Babe, turn around, ears perk up. Babe, turn around to where, that, where I hollered from. She turned this way. But then she looked back over here at all the other dogs. Then she looked back at me. Then she looked back here at all the dogs. She heard the voice of the master, but she didn't want to obey. Anyone that has been on the Christian life very long understands that. And the church of the Nazarene says that God can get down inside of you so deep that when the master calls, you come. And that's what he wants. Doesn't want us to live a. Deep down inside of you. Levi was. Can I ever get through a sermon without telling a Levi story? Okay. <laughs> Levi was seven or eight. We were down at the higher ground campground, which is our 
district campground and and he was being his normal Levi seven or eight year old self and we're in a little hotel room so we're all all of us are probably getting on each other's nerves and and all that kind of stuff and I don't remember what he did I have no clue what he did but you know just being his regular honorary self and and I said go sit down And he goes over and sits down. And so he sits down in the chair. And he st- still does this to the day when he's mad. He just he'll, he won't look at you. Like he, like he can't see you. And I went over to him and pulled my chair up in front of him. And I thought, well, we're going to have a little theology conversation here. And here he was. I said, Levi, Jesus died for that feeling that you have in your spirit right now. That feeling of wanting to go your own way or doing what you're supposed to do, Jesus died for that feeling. Man, I just think Jesus died so much more than just our sins. He died for our sin, singular. I stole a candy bar at Ryan's drugstore when I was 12 years old. That's a sin. All, all, all those other things that pile on top of that are sins, but there's something deep down inside that he died for. He, wants to, he died for what made me steal that candy bar because I was dared by the other guys and I cared more for the pleasure for the, I cared more for the pleasure of those other guys than I did for the pleasure of God at that moment. And he wants down at that peace in me. Not just my sins. He wants what makes me sin. That's what Church Nazarene is all about. We said God's arm is not shortened and he can get down in there and totally revolutionize your life and get to your motives. Get to your motives if you allow him to do that. There's Dennis a Menace cartoon a while back and mama said Dennis in the corner. And so she was in the kitchen doing her mama stuff and, and he was in the corner of the dining room, living room or something like that. And she goes, Dennis! Are you sitting down? And in the next frame, Dennis says, yes, but I'm standing up on the inside. That's what I'm talking about, friends. How many of you good Nazarenes today are standing up on the inside? You look good, don't you? You sing the songs, but on the inside. That's all in this passage. The battle that wars within you. God bless you if you understand that battle right now because he's bringing you up to a point where he wants to do deep, deep work in you. If, you, if you're not at that point, you're either too immature as a Christian yet to understand that battle or you've just said no to him so much that the Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that your heart can become hardened. God wants your want to. That's what he wants. James chapter 4 continues. James won't ease up. He says, you adulterous people. There's a whole lot of preaching there. I don't have time to, to preach, but we're the bride of Christ, friends. I don't have time to go there. That's why James uses that. 
You adulterous people, you broken covenant. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God, means that you're enemies with God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I got one foot over here and I got one foot over here and I got one foot in the world. And I got one foot in the church and one foot with Jesus and one foot with all my friends. And, 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 and he says, you adulterous people. James says, don't cut us any slack, man. The world, we've talked about the world a lot. You know the world, don't you? I hope that I could call your name right now and, and you stand up and give us an example of worldly thinking. That's so much because if you don't know the difference between godly thinking and worldly thinking, you've already lost the battle. You've got to know what the, what the world says to you. And the world says things that are totally antithetical to the things of Christ, totally opposite to the things of Christ. That's why he says anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world cannot be a friend of God. I was listening to WLW 700 the other day. I liked the talk shows and I was listening to them and there's this lady on there and they were talking about sexting. First service and not too many of them knew what sexting was, okay? But you all know what sexting is, don't you? And they were talking about sexting and where this, this relationship expert was, she, how she was introduced. Who gets to be a relationship expert? What degree is that? It's like I heard someone was introduced this week. Listen to this. I'm freaked out. Someone was introduced as a social influencer. (laughs) What in the world does that mean? How do you get to be a social influencer? (laughs) Oh, this lady was a relationship expert. And she was saying, you know, sexting is not really a problem unless you send a picture. A little flirtation between, and she was talking about between married people. A little flirtation between married couples. I promise you she was saying this. A little flirtation is no big deal. Now you can't cross the line and send a photo of yourself, but it's just a little flirtation. Sending the photo just doesn't happen until you've had a little flirtation to begin with. You take about wherever that line is, and I don't know where it is, and you don't know where it is. Wherever it is, you take three or four steps back from that line. That's the only way you don't cross it. It's not just how close to that line can I get to without crossing it. Let me tell you, you got a problem right there if that's your issue. That's, you got a problem. I want to stay back from that line so I won't slip up and cross it. So just a little flirting between married people, there's nothing wrong with it. I can't send pictures now, but just a little flirting. And so somebody called up, called her up and took the opposite side, my side of that issue, the opposite side of the issue. And the relationships expert and the host just raked her over the coals. Way of the world. Way of the world. Worldly thinking. Everybody does it. You hear it every single day. It's a break room thinking. It's what your friends tell you that aren't in the church. It's the way of the world. Next verse. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he that be God jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? He's jealous for you. This is in the context of the word adultery now. He's jealous for you. Jealous and, and, and human connotations can be a bad thing. You know, it's just it's just, I'm just jealous of Sue. It's all about me. But in God's, in the way God thinks about this, God's not jealous because he's losing out on your love. He's jealous because I'm losing out on something. That's completely different. 
God's jealous for me as we sing in a song because when I don't love him, I'm the loser and he doesn't want me to be the loser. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. What comes before that? Why do you need to do that? All this stuff I've just talked to you about. Independence. Jesus is Lord. I'm Lord. (coughs) Battle. Want my way. Jesus is Lord is the most simple creed that we have in the Christian church today. We got all kinds of creeds. We preached a sermon series three or four years ago on the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, we preached a sermon series on that. But the most simplest of all creeds is Jesus is Lord. And when I say Jesus is Lord, that immediately means I'm not Lord. And my Lordship is the biggest problem I have. That's the biggest problem I have. That's why it says in, what is it, 10-9 of Romans, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And somebody said, well, where's repentance in that? You know, because other parts of the Bible, Jesus said, repent and believe. Well, how can I confess Jesus is Lord if I don't repent of my own lordship? Unless I'm just a churchy person and just say the things that you're supposed to say. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Why do I need to do that? It's all this stuff that goes right before in James chapter 4. Because we want to be independent people. We haven't even prayed about it. And when we pray about it, we pray about the wrong motives. I need deep, deep work. Deep, deep work. So James says in 4, 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You don't need to go to a spiritual warfare seminar and pay $200 to tell your people how to deal with spiritual warfare. The Bible simply says resist. Resist. <laughs> And he'll flee from you. Resist. That's what Jesus did. Jesus just said no. And, and, and at the end of that passage, I think it was in Luke, Luke and Matthew, but at the end in Luke, I said, and the devil left Jesus. Now, it finishes for a more opportune time, but the devil fled because Jesus said no. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8. Come near to God. What does that mean for you? It means something to me. It probably means something different to you. I'm not sure there's like a right answer. This is what it means to come near to God. I think we're all on different parts of our journey. What's it mean to come near to God? You know, necessarily what it doesn't mean is all the legalistic things you got to do. Well, if I got to come near to God, then it means then I've got I've got to I've got to get up at six and read my Bible, and I've got to memorize scripture, and I've got to make sure I'm here on Wednesday night, and, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and this. That's, that's so wrong. Those things are a byproduct of something else. In and of those things, because those, I can get up at 6 o'clock in the morning, read the Bible, and go to hell. It doesn't make any difference. It's where your heart is. I can memorize scripture till I'm blue in the faith and still go to hell. It's where my heart is. So what's he mean when he says, come near to me? He says, come on, give me your heart. Give me what is really of the essence of you. Come near to me. I want to be everything that you totally desire. Come near to me and I'll come near to you. 
then all those other things, they're not bad, they're good, but they flow. It's a cart before the horse type of thing. Come near to God. In in 22, 23 years of ministry, I've had a lot of people come in my office and they they say, well, I just don't don't feel God. And I want to be a smart aleck. I try not to be, but I want to be a smart aleck. And I said, well, who moved? The old timers used to, used to say, have you backed up on God? Have you backed up on God? Come near to God. Come near to God. It's with your heart, with your desires, with your motives, with what you really, really want. My dad used to stand up pulpit and say, hey, what do you think about when you don't have anything to think about? He says, that tells you what you love. What do you think about when you don't have anything to think about? That tells you what you really love. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Why do I got to do that? Because I got this lordship problem. I want to be in charge of my own life. I'm battling with other people. I'm battling with the sinful nature that wars inside of me. So if I submit to God, what does that look like? Well, I'll come near to him with my heart and my soul and with all of who I am. Not just my church life, not just something that people can see. With my heart, I'll come near to him. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Next slide, we have the whole verse 8. Then he talks about repentance. Wash your hands, you sinners. <laughs> James just comes right at it. Talks about repentance. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. James, don't cut us any slack. What's repentance mean? Yeah, it's a change of mind, but it's deeper than just a change of mind. It's a change of gut. It's a change at the deep level of where I make my decisions. It's a deep change from the inside out. It's repentance. I've told you this story before, but I was assistant district superintendent, and this was probably 9, 10, 11 years ago, something like that. And one of our pastors on the district had committed adultery on his wife, and so I went looking for him. I found him in a softball field. I saw him off away, and here he was. Throwing up. He was, repent- he was repenting. He was repenting. It was such an emotional experience. It came from the inside out. He, God had brought him to the fact that he saw what he had done. And he was repenting, and he couldn't stand it. That's why the scripture says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Get serious about this thing. Repent. That doesn't doesn't mean that I've been off in adultery. It just means that I've got two lovers. He's already called me an adulterer. Repent, Mark, of having two loves in your life. You love God, but you love the world, don't you, Mark? Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. We just need a dose of seriousness. We sit at home and 
watch American Idol and all those mindless TV shows. We need a dose of seriousness. You said funerals I preached in 22 or 23 years. During that funeral, everybody's all serious and we're focused on eternal matters. And you go out in the lobby afterwards, we're talking about the Bengals and the Browns. People can't deal with that seriousness because it's too, too close. It's too serious. Jesus says, be serious. Change your laughter to mourning and, and change your joy to gloom. This is serious stuff, Jesus says. James says, excuse me. There's a real deal here, man. Just preach about heaven, Mark. That'll make us all feel a lot better. What if heaven is just a byproduct of this kind of life? Dr. John Oswald. And James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord. <laughs> Not an easy position to be in. The world doesn't teach us to get in this position. It doesn't teach us to get in this position. The world teaches you anything but this position. Humble yourselves before the Lord and the marvelous, marvelous promise of God. And he will lift you up. As if humbling is a prerequisite to being lifted up. It's almost as if somebody's here at the altar and they're praying. It's almost as if Jesus comes himself and Jesus comes and says, stand up, child. Stand up. Hmm. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Why do I got to do that? Verses 1 through 6. And what does that look like if I do that? Verses 8 through 11. Just like last week, our tongue is not the issue. Our heart is the issue. Right? It's just not like go to a communication seminar and learn to talk better. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Change your heart. Let God reach down in there in a real way and change your heart and watch your life change. Oh, probably not overnight. I know that. But watch it change little by little, day by day. As he takes out that stinking thinking and puts in godly thinking. As he changes you from the inside out. It's a matter of the heart. Because the heart is the matter that we're talking about here. Submit yourselves. Get in rank. Now, obviously, in the military, that's a, I don't have to love my, my sergeant to, to get in rank, to obey what he says. But in the New Testament, this getting in rank is a voluntary, godly, gracious submission to a God that loves me with a reckless love. And so I voluntarily, I gladly, I get in rank. Have you done that? Maybe you did, but you've gotten out of step, out of rank. 
Starts here at the table. We used to sing about the power of the blood, and that power of the blood is not just power to get you to heaven. It's a power to totally change your life from the inside out. So you are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, and all things have passed away. Have you experiencing that? Do you want that? Can I tell you something? If you want that, he'll give it to you. The issue, the ball's in your court. Do you want it? Do you want it? Do you want him to turn you inside out by his grace? Our servers are coming to the table. Father, you want us to get in rank, not in a legalistic way, not in a, not in a, if you don't, I'm going to hit you over the head with my holy baseball bat, but in a way that you are my father and you know best. And you would not say anything that would not be the best for me. So I voluntarily, graciously get in rank. I submit myself to you. Not just my church self, my whole self, lock, stock, and barrel. And Father... Man, if there's just one person in this today that wants to do that, this service has been a marvelous success. There may be just one person that is tired of one foot in, one foot out, tired of being double-minded, and today, in some way they understand, they want to be 100% yours. They want to submit themselves to you. They want to get in rank. Would you hear their prayer today in Jesus name. Amen.